I'm going to just share with you guys, uh, I've had a miserable week, and uh, it's all because of the text, and I've spent, I've tried to figure out a way around this, um, and so uh, I haven't been able to. So I I have the privilege of giving you what I think God's called me to say, and I don't want to do it, um, if that makes any sense at all. I also woke up this morning with whatever this is. So, um, praise the Lord. <clears throat> so, we have this idea of me, church. I titled the sermon this morning, Did You See My Selfie? Um, we live in a culture, right, that is uh, completely focused on self. Uh, it, it, we we've actually have apps designed for focusing on you individually and and and. We've made, we've made the culture so incredibly self-focused that friendship is a matter of clicking a button now. And if we don't like what they've said or we don't like something that's happened in there, we just unfriend them and we disconnect from them. Even to the point where they sell, we, we sell sticks so you can take better selfies of yourself, right? I mean, uh, think about all the apps that are designed for us to be have our own web page and our own presence and our own ourselves highlighted. <clears throat> I want to encourage you that we are not the first culture to deal with this. I believe that it has been the history of mankind has always been focused on self and focused on us. In fact, in the midst of this challenge, I found myself wrestling with this selfishness issue, and I made an attempt at doing something that I don't particularly like doing this week, um, but somebody that I really, really like needs to go do it. And so this week, I took my Saturday morning and I went shopping with my bride. Some of you are convicted right now, and you should be. Uh, why, why am I sharing this with you guys? I don't like shopping. In fact, there was an awkward moment in our process where my bride is trying on things and I'm standing out in front of the stuff that she's trying on and the young ladies that are manning the station with my bride coming in and out and changing out things are giggling and laughing at me <laughs> because of where I, we, the, the particular items that we were standing in and that she was evaluating, clearly I was uncomfortable and they thought it was funny. Why do I tell you that? Because not often do I make that sacrifice on a Saturday morning. That's the reality. Not often do I give up. In fact, one of my buddies texted me and said, hey, are we getting together for our normal uh, video game time? And I said, kind of lied, I said, no, I've got bodyguard duty of a celebrity. (laughs) I have the text. I sent it to him. And he laughs back and he goes, what? I said, yeah, my bride's a pastor's wife. All of this is, it's good and it's fun, and, and we think about this selfishness, we think about doing things for ourselves, and it's interesting how this whole year has begun, right? We started off the text looking at Jesus asking his disciples, who do, you say, who, do the, who do they say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, right, but he didn't understand what it was, and we ended up at this spot going, who do you say that Christ is, and, and is, if he is the Christ, are we going to surrender to that? And then last week, Jesus begins to tell of the suffering that's coming. He's he's teaching them what we would consider to be difficult truths. And Peter, not understanding what's going on and not realizing it, he steps in to rebuke the Lord. And he says, no, no, you got your eyes on the wrong stuff. And Jesus turns around and rebukes him and says, but your eyes are on the wrong things, Peter. You're looking at the things of man, not the things of God. And we got to readjust our focus. And then this week... We pick up the text. I want to read with you in Matthew or Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31, so we, we just pick up the whole thing and hang on to, the, to the, the bulk of the context here. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says this, and, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And my intent as we started this week was to complete that whole section. And I thought to myself, well, when we get to this thing about deny myself and take up the cross, that'll be a quick and short little thing because we all know what that means and we'll just move on. And so I worked really hard all week to get through that quickly. We're only getting through one verse today, verse 34. So if you want, you can highlight that in your Bible. You can turn right to it. We're going to be there today. We're going to jump around. We have a few passages to look at. But when I think of myself, when I think of what it is about me and this idea of being a disciple and following Christ, this whole context of following Jesus seems good to me. Would you not agree? Right? We, we want to be followers of Christ. That's, if, if we claim to be Christians, then at some level in our hearts we decide, I want to follow Jesus. It makes sense. It's biblical. It's spiritual. It's churchy. And it's right, because it's what he calls us to do. The challenge for me, the challenge I think that we run into, is when we find that the gospel, that the word of God, the gospel in the word of God doesn't line up with the gospel of our culture. And unfortunately, I think that's where we might be heading today. We're going to take a minute and just look at a couple of words. The point one is that to follow him... Jesus says right here in verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This word deny yourself, you know, I think sometimes in our culture we think of it as I'm going to take the smaller piece of cake, right? Have you ever done that? You're sitting around your table. Now, I had a particularly dangerous situation. I had four boys. So for their health, I would have to eat the larger piece of cake. You know, when they were younger, it wasn't a big deal. When they were younger, they didn't really care about how big the cake was or how much food was being consumed. There was a point at which where the five of us, my bride, we'd save a plate for my bride, but the five of us would consume somewhere around eight to 12 servings in a meal, and they'd still be asking for more. And... So there's a, there's, a, there's a moment as a father when you're trying to model selflessness that we think, I'm going to take the smaller piece. I, I got to tell you, for my boys, I don't know if it ever registered that I was taking the smaller piece, ever. Is that what Jesus is talking about, denying ourselves? The, the word here, the Greek word is... It's big, a paranomy, and the idea behind this is to refuse to recognize or acknowledge yourself. To refuse to recognize or acknowledge yourself. Could you imagine being in, in a setting, in a social setting, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but somebody's walking up to you and they're like, hey, 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 oh man, it's good to see you. And they walk right past somebody. Have you ever been the somebody that, they, that you thought, oh, hey, Ooh, that wasn't for me. You ever done that? Oh my goodness, I mean, imagine what that feels like when you realize that they weren't actually interested in you. This idea of refusing to recognize or acknowledge, it, it's actually about you and me. It's, it's about refusing to recognize myself or acknowledge myself in the context of relationship uh, with Jesus and I believe even the church. I want to remind us of a passage in Philippians 2. We read this last week. I just want to remind us, verses uh, 2, 1 through 5. 
says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I got to tell you guys, I don't do good ignoring me. I just don't do that well. In fact, let's just, this is how pathetic it is. I felt like I had a huge victory on Saturday because I went shopping with my bride. I felt like, man, that's brownie points right there. That is, that is relational investment. And yay me, right? Yes. That's a success. Gentlemen, if you choose to die to yourself and you go out with your brides, ladies, that's a success. Reward them. We are, we are simple creatures, and we need to know that we can win. It's helpful. But are we willing to surrender ourselves? Are we willing to deny us, our preferences, our wants, our desires, our needs for the sake of following Christ. I forgot to do one thing. I want to give a disclaimer this morning. If anything is said from here that is offensive to you, it's God's fault. Because I've prayed like crazy for this and I, I really don't want to be up here. Secondly, if you hear anything this morning, I want to really challenge you to make sure that your name is the one that's attached to the conviction. This isn't for your spouse. This isn't for your kids. This isn't for your neighbor. It's probably, probably for your pastor. But this, I believe, is between us and the Lord. So don't, don't think about other people as you're wrestling with this. The question that we need to ask is, am I willing to deny myself to refuse to recognize or acknowledge me while following Jesus. And here's the challenge is that Jesus doesn't stop there. He then says, take up your cross and follow me. What's significant about taking up a cross? I mean, I could go over and I could, we could detach that thing and I could, I could put it on my shoulder and I could carry that around all day. That'd probably be a really good illustration. But would it mean much to you and me? I, I don't know. We need to understand one key factor. The cross in, in, in the time of Jesus was the form of execution. It was a corporate form of punishment and execution. So when Jesus is telling his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, they understand exactly what he means. That they're taking up uh, the, their, the implement of their death, uh, the way that the... Um, that my uh, concordance uh, explained it was uh, to deny oneself with lethal determination or the idea of picking up or carrying a wooden beam to one's own execution. Somebody said, as I was dialoguing this week, it's like taking your shovel and digging your own grave. So Jesus calls his disciples to deny themselves, to, to refuse to recognize and to pick up their cross, pick up the, the, the representation of their own execution and carry it with them. The idea of their death, the implement of their death. I think one of the clarifications we should make, because as I was wrestling with this, one of the things that popped into my head was this idea of, of burdens. Is this, is, so is this taking up my cross like dealing with one of my sin issues or dealing with a difficult person in my life or a difficult situation? I don't believe it is, um, partly because... Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, which I don't have on the screen, so you'll have to look it up. Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't believe that what we're called to do is to take up our burdens to follow Jesus, but we're to... We're to regularly and constantly be looking at 
the cost of following Christ, the cost that He paid for that, which was His death, and recognize that that is our burden. That is ours to carry daily because the cross represents Christ's death and our death as well. My second point is that we must die. I don't believe that death is an option in this process. Why would Jesus use a reference to execution as a, as a practical exercise for his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him, to deny themselves daily and to live in such a way? Two things that jump out to me at this one is that uh, if you go to John chapter 12, verses 20 and 24, we see this principle that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. It's an interesting uh, passage, actually, because they're in, this, in, this, uh, in the city of Jerusalem. They're, they're moving on their way uh, to his crucifixion. Um, the guys think they're doing the Passover and all of this excitement. And these Gentiles show up and they want to see Jesus. Pick up the story with me in John chapter 12, verse 20. The text says this, Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. They had quite a system of uh, communication there, didn't they? And Jesus answered them, Sure, send them in. What? Oh, that's the wrong verse. What does he say? And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For anyone who serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Kind of a peculiar verse, isn't it? Is that how we normally respond when somebody says, hey, I'd like to meet with whoever it is? It seems kind of odd, but when you think about Jesus' challenge to his own disciples, hey, your eyes are on the wrong stuff. Your eyes are not on godly things. They're on earthly things. You're, you're missing the point. I believe that these Greeks saw meeting with Jesus, seeing Jesus as being some kind of elevated posture. We don't know who they are. Were they, were they people of importance? Were they people of significance in that area? I don't know. But Jesus gives us this principle that without death, there's no fruit. There's no, there's, there's no excessive fruit. It says that when one dies, uh, it bear, we bear much fruit. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I believe Jesus is referencing specifically his death. That by his death and burial and resurrection, the fruit that is produced is in the lives of us. It's produced in us. And there's great fruit produced. We really struggle with this concept. I think it's hard for us to imagine that if we die to ourselves here on this earth, God can produce a great deal of fruit from us. If I die to my preferences, my needs. One of the questions, I was watching a video by Francis Chan this week on this particular issue of dying to ourself, and he made the comment, he said, so each one of us should take an, a, a and this is my paraphrase, this is not a direct quote. Please don't ever assume I made a direct quote unless I tell you it's a direct quote. Basically, he said, everybody should evaluate what, when you came into the church doors, what were you thinking about? How much of it was about what I wanted or what I hoped the service would be like or what I was not looking forward to experiencing in the service? How much was it about me? And in contrast to that, how much was it about what God wants to do? How much, how, in contrast, how much was it about the worship of God? Or possibly, how much was it about serving and caring for those that are called our family? I thought to myself, Ugh. You guys know from time to time I come to church on Sunday not wanting to be here, right? Just saying. I, I have bad days. 
And it's surprising how many of them are Saturday nights into Sundays. i just being honest. I, I, I hope that doesn't scare you. But it's the reality of life. The problem is that when we get to this gospel process, and I believe that this is the danger that we're going to run into, and when we think about this idea that we must die to ourselves, that, that we, this isn't an option. Jesus didn't say that there's, there are certain levels of this. Just, just say a prayer and, and I'll accept you, and then you, then you can decide what level of, of, of Christianity you want to walk around in. You can, I was thinking to myself, you know, we, we look at the verse where it talks about us getting into heaven after, after all the fire goes by and they smell like smoke and there's nothing left, but they're saved. I think some of us actually think to ourselves, oh, that would be okay if I could get in like that. And we live that way. But with this idea of, that we must die, it does, I, Jesus isn't giving us an option. In fact, he doesn't stop there being a little controversial. Look back at uh, Matthew chapter 10. This is all the way back when Jesus is sending out his, his disciples for their first missionary journey. And I'm pretty sure when you read this with me, you will think, wow, Jesus is all about love. <clears throat> Give me a big nod, amen, if that's what you find. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Uh, the precursor to this is that Jesus sends them out. He tells them that they're going to suffer persecution. And then he says, don't fear. Encourages them not to fear. And I love, I love his illustration for not fearing. He goes, hey, if, a, if a, a sparrow falls to the ground, God knows about it. If a sparrow dies, your father's aware of it. Be encouraged. You see the illustration? I love them so much, I know, when, I know when they die. So Jesus is aware of our suffering, and we don't have to fear. But then he says this in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I would like it if this would be an optional thing. That's not true. You know, there's part of me in my heart that I think we think we would like it. I think we would, we would redesign God's plan for us in our own finite minds. And yet, if the Bible's true, then the God of the universe has set all of this into place for us. And he says, come and follow me because it's the best thing for you. It's the thing that has all hope, all joy, real freedom, real joy. I think the biggest challenge for me probably is that the decision is daily. I wish that I could just check a box and be done with it. And that every morning when I woke up, I'd be like, ha, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have no problems. But remember that issue with the pesky living sacrifice? I want to get off the altar all the time. I want to get back on. I want to be on the throne. I want, I want to be the most important person in my life. In fact, it's interesting in Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 23, we actually see Jesus telling the same story to his disciples, but Luke adds a slight detail in it. We'll just read the one verse, Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This decision is a daily decision. It's not something that, that we just choose today, and then we don't have an issue with it tomorrow, right? I shared with you guys after our the 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 the... the 
spiritual high that, that we got to have on the first Sunday or the first Sunday of the new year as I'm up here praying and I'm on my knees. I'm like, Lord, this is what I want to do and this is who I want to be and, and I'm so excited about it. And before Monday morning, I just got beat up, struggling with, with issues in my life that, I, that I, haven't even, I haven't even had on my heart recently, anger and frustration and other things that just surprised me. Found myself coming into church on Monday to go to work grumpy. I have the best job in the world. By the way, we do have the best office in the world. It's, it's phenomenal. But this is a daily battle. This is a daily struggle. It's something that we engage in daily, and it is a struggle. I love how, I love how Paul articulates it in Philippians 3, right? Uh, we looked at that last week, just, just a couple of verses, just to remind us again of what this purpose is, what this focus is, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. It says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it, on my, made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies be, uh, behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a struggle. It is a, it's an ongoing battle. It is not going to be done tomorrow. It's not done today. You and I are going to face this every day, choosing to follow Christ, choosing to live in a lifestyle that denies me. Which led me to the, my fourth point and the, the question that I've been wrestling with all week. Am I all about me? Am I all about me? Is my parenting about me? Man, I got to tell you, as a young father, it was often. As a young father with four boys, it was often about me. Add on to that the complication of being a pastor. And people looking at your kids and, and making evaluations about your kids. You know, I got in trouble one day. Um, this was a safe one, I think. Uh, I got in trouble one day because I referenced uh, my, my views on discipline, and I referenced a passage in Scripture where it says, spare the rod, spoil the child. And I actually had a believer come up to me and let me know that uh, culturally that was unacceptable now, and I just went, I don't have a Bible to tear a page out of today, and I'm not going to do it, just relax. But basically, that's what the culture says, that, that's not, that the Bible isn't accurate anymore. I know I'm a dumb young youth pastor, but pretty sure that this is a safe place to land. But I can tell you that so much of my young parenting was selfish. You know, there's times where I didn't discipline my children because I was selfish. I didn't want to deal with it. Being consistent and maintaining consistent standards with them and dealing with the small stuff on a consistent basis was annoying. It was frustrating and horrible, and there was times where we just disregarded them. <sighs> Let them go watch a video. I don't have to deal with them. Am I all about me? <sighs> this next passage should be really encouraging. Uh, it's in 2 Timothy. You guys, th there is encouragement in this. We're getting there. Just hang on. Because there's great hope in this. There's great hope. Because it's the gospel. And, and in that, there is life. But I believe that it is super important when we see a text that talks about the death of us, ourselves dying to ourselves, that we need to think very carefully and very clearly about how we interpret this truth, how we live out this truth. And in, in a culture that is screaming, it's all about you, unless it's about me. Have you noticed that about our culture? Everything's about you until it's about me. And then you matter absolutely not at all anymore. 
That's what our culture says. I think it might even be what our church says from time to time. If we really get honest about the things that we fight about and the things that we have conflict about in the church. Look at what Tim, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their... Oh, oh sorry. Felt a little conviction there. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Brothers and sisters, who is it that is going for the appearance of godliness? Is it the world? Or is it the church? Who is Paul talking about? I believe he's talking about the church. I believe that he is talking about a church that has stopped loving God and focused on loving themselves. When Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross to follow him, I don't believe that it's an option. I believe to be a follower of Christ, Jesus is establishing for his disciples what it means to follow him. We're going to end with um, two passages. One, uh, John chapter 3. The, the, the beauty in this is that we need a spiritual rebirth. And, and G, we didn't, uh, we're, we're not the only ones that are having a hard time, I don't think. I don't think his disciples were the only ones that were having a hard time. Because we see one of the leaders of the Pharisees named Nicodemus having a hard time with us. John chapter 3, we see, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Another one of those odd statements, right? Nicodemus is telling him these things, and Jesus goes into this idea of being born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What an amazing picture. Here's Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, struggling to understand this truth that, that Jesus is teaching him. And Jesus even references, man, I put him on the bottom shelf. I'm putting this in, in earthly form so that you can understand it. How can I give you heavenly things if you can't get this? But the reality is for us to, I, I believe that the gospel is calling us to a new birth, to this idea of being born again, a spiritual rebirth. And the Bible lays it out very clear that it's through our death, our identification with Christ on the cross and our, in His resurrection that we are identified with Him in, that we have new life. And Jesus seems to be implying that that is true, but this death process, this taking up your cross is something that we must do daily. 
and is not an option. Talked about coming into church. I don't know how many of you have ever driven to church. There was a season in my life where I was the lead worship pastor. I, I was, well, I was the youth guy and I did worship and I got to do it for a couple of years and it was awesome. And I really, I apologize. I really offended people, you guys. I was that, I was that head shaven, goatee wearing young kid bringing drums into the church. You guys, we had big fights over that. Like, people left the church because of it. It was horrible. Went through a process where God took me out of that. I had to sit where you guys are and let some other joker lead worship. And he wasn't as good as me. He didn't like the songs that I liked. He didn't play the songs the way that I thought they should have been played. He would play slow songs fast and fast songs slow. And he'd play intense songs with no intensity. And then he'd play songs that were supposed to be reflective and you thought you were in a disco club. What is wrong with you? For two years, I sat in that sanctuary and God beat me up. Why? Was I there to be entertained? Was I there to get my music? Was I there to have my music my way so that I could worship? Is that real worship then? You guys, we've been sold a little bit of a lie. Me, church, does not exist in true discipleship. A church that's all about me is not a church that honors God. And yet, how many times do we come to church Man, I hope that person's not there today. Boy, I sure hope they're not leading worship. You know, I was at a church one time where somebody actually called in, and thank goodness we don't have that here. Somebody actually called in and uh, want to know who was preaching. wonder why. Maybe they thought, that person can't have a word from the Lord for me. Maybe they didn't like how goofy he was up front. How do you come to church? How do you start your day? What I'm wrestling with, you guys, is that if I'm really going to deny myself and, and put God first, That it means everything that I hold dear, everything that I think is important, everything that is valuable to me is available for God to take away and say, I need this from you. Because with this, you can't focus on me. I would encourage you to think about that exact thing this week. In fact, I think if we're really, really honest, we could probably all look at one thing in our life maybe more, and say, God, this thing is in my way. This is an issue where I refuse to deny myself. This is an issue that I will not die to. You guys know I love cars, and I like stuff. Turns out I like stuff. In fact, I realized the other day as I'm looking at all my stuff, I like junk. And fortunately, because I married way up, I have a nice car, but the rest of my projects are junk. And you know how much time and money I spend storing my junk? And I've actually come to the spot where I realize I have to give some of that stuff up. Isn't that nuts? I just built a shop to store all my junk. <sighs> you know, that's hard for me. I don't know why, but that it is hard for me to do that. I had to share something with you guys. I said that we're not the only ones that struggle with this. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. You know, the Israelites had this challenge. They struggled with this all the time. They were such nitwits. 
Can you believe that God chose such a goofball bunch of people to try and do His work? I say that tongue-in-cheek because when I look at them so often, I see me and I'm like, how can this be His plan? I still stand by the fact that if He would have asked the dogs to evangelize the world, it would have already been done. Seriously, you can teach them to do what they're told, and they're happy to do it, most of them. Sure, a lot higher percentage than us. Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 14. This is the end of Joshua's life. He's getting ready to leave, and he's challenging Israel. Look at, what's, look at what is said here. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. I want you to recognize that. Just mark that. Put away the gods. You see that? Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers... Uh, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Love that. Then the people answered, and, and here they have a right response. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God." That's the right response. They're actually looking at what God did and they're saying, look, this is who the God that we are serving is. Look at everything that He did for us. That's the right response. It's exactly what they're supposed to do. Verse 19, Joshua responds, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if... You forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Basically, Joshua said, you really don't understand how holy and great this God is. And he's not going to forgive you if you continue in idolatry. There will be consequences for idolatry. Verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said to them, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. You see, he said that a second time. Did you catch that? They've chosen to follow him. And then he reminds them, then get rid of the idols that are in your camp. Get them out. You cannot say that you will serve the Lord and serve these idols. Uh, Verse 23, he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. This is my challenge for me this week, and it's, I believe it's our challenge for the, from the Lord this week, is who will we serve? Brothers and sisters, I believe it's very easy for us to live in the church and in relationship with, with one another fully engaged in idolatry, in the worship of other things beyond God Himself. We, we can get to Matthew 10 where we love something else more than God. And how do I know that I love something else more, to God, more than God? It's pretty easy for me to evaluate because if I look at, we'll just take something super simple like reading His Word. And I'm not saying that you need to, I mean, set up whatever schedule you want. This isn't about a legalistic action of reading His Word. But if I'm looking at my time alone with the Lord and what I find is that I never have time because something else always gets in the way, what could be my conclusion? What should be my conclusion? Those things are more important than him. What does it look like for us 
to die to ourselves, to deny what I want, what I think I need, to the point of death. You know, I shared with you going shopping with my bride. That's a small thing. It's a small thing. And why is it so tough for me to do? Because I don't like it. I like her. But I, I like shopping for what I like. Take me to the car parts store. Now, I got to tell you, my bride's so sweet. She goes, hey, sweetie, there's, to- there's a toy aisle over there. I just thought before you get all judgmentally, the toys weren't for me. I was looking for toys for kids that are coming over to our house. So I was in all the cool guy toys for a while. And I thought, oh, that's not the right aisle. I got to die to myself and go to a different aisle. And she says, hey, don't, there's an automotive section over there too. You could go look at it. Because she knows me. Why is that such a big deal? Well, because there's a stupid little verse in Ephesians that said, if I love my bride, I'll love her like Christ did the church to death. What is that? I mean, if he didn't make death the issue, we could probably find a way around that. I love her mostly, most of the time. Love her like I like to be loved. Well, that would even be tough. He doesn't give us that. He says, if you want to follow me, then you got to follow me like I lived. Follow Jesus as if he were the real Savior, as if he were God, like he says that he is. The amazing part is in that Philippians passage that talks about not doing anything for our own selfish ambition, Philippians chapter 2, right after that we read it last week, that Jesus, who being in the image of God, did not find equality to God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself and became, took on the form of a servant, even to the point of death. Jesus' example, although he was the one person that could say, I deserve to be equal to God, gave it up willingly to die on the cross. Isn't it ironic that you and I come into our lives demanding that people worship our ideals, our principles, our expectations? And demand our rights. And the author of our faith did not do that. But he said, instead he says, follow me. Deny yourself and take up your cross. And live like me. What does that look like for us? I believe each of us it will be different. And that's your challenge for this week. Where do you need to die to yourself? In your marriage, in your home, in our church, in our work. Isn't it ironic that I am in the one career that I cannot pursue financial gain? I I was thinking about this the other day. It's not okay for me to go after the best paying job as a pastor. And I say it's not okay in the sense that I don't feel like it's okay. I, I know there probably are pastors that do that, that see it as a career. But I believe that, that whether I was paid or not, God's called me and I'd be here regardless. Because I don't do this for a living. I mean, I do, but I don't. I'm confused. But if being a disciple of Jesus is following him in every circumstance, would that not be the same for each of us then? That whatever you're doing today is, is by God's design and he's called you to a purpose bigger than just making a paycheck? Would it not stand to reason then that he brought you to this church not because of how great we are or how many good things we have to offer you or how, many, how, how wonderful the kids program is, although it is. But isn't it possible that he's called us here not because of what we would get out of it, but because of what we have to give? when we die to ourselves? And maybe he's even designed all of this so that we're all plenty enough annoyed that we actually would have to die to ourselves to show up to this goofy place. And is it possible that he's called you into marriage? I love this quote, not to make you happy, but to make you holy. 
What if marriage wasn't about you getting what you wanted? But it was about learning to die to yourself to take care of the needs of the other person by the design of God. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to deny? Father, would you open our hearts to that truth this week? God, I would ask that whatever it is that you are doing in each heart here, that you would do it with a megaphone so that we can't miss it. Lord, if it requires restless nights and difficult times to get our eyes focused on you, I'm convicted that I would even say, and I'm sure I've said this many, many times, that I'm I'm nervous to pray this prayer because of what it's going to cost me. The reality this week as I wrestled with your word is that there isn't an option. I'm either a follower of you or I'm a worshiper of shame. God, I don't want to be that anymore. And I know that this is a daily battle and I need your help to pick up this cross to deny myself every day. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring the power, that you would bring the conviction, that you would bring the, 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 the support and the strength around this body and around this church that would guide each of us to this point. Because, Lord, there is so much more There's so much more than me in your kingdom view. Help me to see what you're doing. Help us to die to ourselves this week, to willingly choose to die to ourselves and deny us. God, not that we would be better Christians, but that you would get the glory. May you be glorified in the worship of your church this week as we follow you every day. As we choose you this week, every day, before ourselves. As we choose others this week, before ourselves. May you be glorified in your church.